Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard? Sling TV offers the news you love for less. Hey, wait. You look and sound just like me. I am you. I'm the same news programs on Sling TV for less. You mean you're me, but for less money. A lot less. I'm all the favorite news programs and more on Sling TV starting at just $40 a month. Everything great about me, but for less money? Which makes me greater, don't you think? Get the news you love and more for less. Start saving today. Visit Sling.com to see your offer. Sling. Ditch the clowns on the left. And the jokers on the right. And join Michael Smirconish right here in the middle. This is the Smirconish Podcast for independent minds. No word yet on the outcome of an emergency meeting taking place at one of my alma maters. The University of Pennsylvania's Board of Trustees holding an emergency meeting today as school president Liz McGill faces scathing criticism over her performance at a House hearing earlier this week. A virtual meeting of the Board of Trustees said to have begun at 9 a.m. Eastern today was only scheduled very recently, a university spokesperson told CNN. You'll recall that on Tuesday, the presidents of Harvard, MIT and Penn all appeared in front of a congressional committee. It was Representative Elise Stefanik who asked the heads of the three major American universities the same question. They all seem to have the same answer. I want to know, and I have the right person to answer this, whether their answers were appropriately grounded in First Amendment law. This is the way that Congresswoman Stefanik put it to Liz McGill and her response in part. Ms. McGill, at Penn, does calling for the genocide of Jews violate Penn's rules or code of conduct? Yes or no? If the speech turns into conduct, it can be harassment. Yes. I am asking specifically calling for the genocide of Jews, does that constitute bullying or harassment? If it is directed and severe or pervasive, it is harassment. So the answer is yes. It is a context-dependent decision. So too too egg-heady, right? I mean, even if she was right on the merits, that didn't play so well, necessitating a mea culpa follow-up video a day later. I want to be clear. A call for genocide of Jewish people is threatening, deeply so. It is intentionally meant to terrify a people who have been subjected to pogroms and hatred for centuries and were the victims of mass genocide in the Holocaust. In my view, it would be harassment or intimidation. So let's learn more about this subject. Ilya Shapiro is the director of constitutional studies at the Manhattan Institute and author of Supreme Disorder, Judicial Nominations and the Politics of America's Highest Court and the forthcoming Canceling Justice, the Illiberal Takeover of Legal Education. He also writes Shapiro's Gavel newsletter at Substack. Professor, thank you so much for being here. You have written on this subject. It was the most direct analysis that I've seen by far. You differentiate between speech and conduct. Explain. 
and, and also time, place, and manner restrictions, uh, which, which we'll get into as well. So uh, things like vandalism or blocking access to buildings or surrounding someone and uh, uh, intimidating them in various ways, harassment, stalking, all of these things are indeed conduct that are not protected by the First Amendment, even if they have a political viewpoint uh, behind them, just as uh, there was, a, I saw something on Twitter this morning about somebody urinating on a Hillel's windows or something in, in protest at Israel's actions. Well, that urination could be expressive, but it's still vandalism. It's still criminal. Uh, so what McGill was saying, as, as you said, too eggheady, too legalistic. She was not being asked in the context of being a First Amendment lawyer. She was being asked to express outrage, to say this is against our values. And uh, uh, when directed at Jewish students or the or the Center for Jewish Life or what have you, that is harassment that violates the policy. That's all that would have been required. But she and the other presidents were mealy-mouthed about it and uh, ultimately had to do these cleanup statements, which are pleasing nobody, which is, I imagine, why there's this emergency session of the uh, of the Penn overseers. Professor, when I played the audio a day later, I guess that was yesterday, I said, look, they're not dopes. And they clearly knew what they were getting into. They were coached. They were prepped. I found it remarkable that all three of them pretty much said the same thing. So here's what I most want to offer you. Even though they were being called upon in their capacities as university presidents, were they properly articulating the law when Elise Stefanik asks the question about uh, genocide of the Jews and whether it violate, violates, I'll say, uh, you know, First Amendment standards in this case? I'm changing it slightly. Well, that's the thing. If she had couched it, and she's a lawyer herself, she's the former dean of University of Virginia Law School, so she knows the law very well. If she had couched it as even hate speech, even offensive speech is protected by the First Amendment, even though that kind of speech is, uh, you know, we, we rejected it, it's against our values, what have you, but and, and can rise to the level of harassment if they do X, Y, Z. A statement like that would have been perfectly clear and nuanced and legally correct. Uh, instead, we got this uh, response by committee, as as you said, you know, prepped by lawyers and PR people and what have you, that isn't pleasing uh, anyone. And and the the ultimate conclusion here is that these university officials don't really have any principles to begin with. They're always kind of triangulating and trying to figure out what the uh, uh, politically correct response might be, because that's how we select university leaders these days. It's not based on academic achievement or other leadership characteristics. It's who can climb that greasy pole. These are not social justice warriors or, or woke activists. They are careerist bureaucrats who, in a context like this, prove themselves to be spineless cowards. Okay, so I think what I'm also hearing from Ilya Shapiro is... This is the Smirconish Podcast from Sirius XM. Hey, the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails, and with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers and with available features like the panoramic moonroof. You can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. Visit your local Toyota dealer 
and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Can you remember a time when you thought someone you disagreed with might actually be right? In the new podcast, You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen pose that question to guests like Paul Ryan, Al Gore, and Judy Woodruff. Come for the stories, stay for the substance and expert insights into some of the most challenging issues facing the country, including affordable housing, crime, and education. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available wherever you get your podcasts. The Michael Smirconish Program. Listen weekdays at 9 a.m. East on POTUS, Sirius XM Channel 124, and anytime on the Sirius XM app. Okay, so I think what I'm also hearing from Ilya Shapiro is that it would be one thing, if I had a catchy rhyme, I don't, but if I had a catchy rhyme about genocide for Jews, I can go out on the street and in a public space, uh, I can offer my chant. But if I start to bang on your shop windows, if I tie up traffic, if I get in your face or someone's face, when when I cross the line from speech into conduct, then much more can be done about it. Is that a fair way to characterize what I'm that's, we're talking that's about? That's legally correct. That's legally correct. And, and even if it's pure speech, uh, uh, it, it can violate uh, proper restrictions. For example, the core of the First Amendment protects protects political speech. And yet I couldn't go into your neighborhood uh, late at night, you know, in the, in the two in the morning and broadcast from a bullhorn what I think of Donald Trump and Joe Biden, even though that's purely speech, no conduct there, but it violates, you know, disturbs the peace and other kind of municipal ordinances. Similarly on college campuses, there are all sorts of rules about not disrupting classes, not interfering with university programs, not blocking access to dorms or buildings, things like this. And these are being violated fairly regularly. So if you want to give a legal answer, that's perfectly fine. But you have to give the whole lay of the land and not just kind of lay back on this uh, this mealy-mouthed uh, statement uh, prepared by a committee that, that is not going to please anybody. So your essay for the Free Press, which was published on November 27, begins, Even Anti-Semites Have the Right to Free Speech. When would speech itself, forget conduct now, just talk to me about speech. When does speech itself run afoul? I guess I'm asking you to define what is Brandenburg. Oh, well, those are two of the, you're raising two of the exceptions. Uh, the Brandenburg is uh, incitement of violence. Uh, that is, it has to be, there has to be an imminent threat of violence that you're directing, and there's a, a very close causal link. There's been a lot of discussion of what incitement actually means in the context of January 6th and President Trump's speech and all of that. But that's the same standard. You know, are you saying if you're giving a fiery speech and you're not just kind of saying from the river to the sea or intifada intifada, but you're saying uh, any Jew that you see on campus today, go and hit them. That, I think, uh, meets the Brandenburg standard. Another exception is a true threat. So there was a Cornell student about a month ago who was arrested for posting direct threats of, of rape and murder and things like this against Jewish students. And once something rises to the level of a true threat like that, that is not protected. And then we get into these, as, as, as we were discussing, the time, place, and manner restrictions. If a student group books a room for a speaker or a class is going on, you can't just go in there and say it's my free speech right to, 
to talk uh, as well. There are, there are regulations uh, uh, about that. What is Elise Stefanik referring to when she when she couches the question to these university presidents in the context of their code of conduct or rules regarding bullying and harassment? That's important because all universities have student handbooks, faculty handbooks. That constitutes the contract that you have with the university when you matriculate or when you're employed by them. Uh, And so uh, the, the speech policies and all the other policies are included in that. So if the universities are not applying those policies even handedly, if, uh, uh, you know, even if on paper it all looks good, but they're not enforcing the rules against bullying and intimidation, uh, that, that's a problem. And it has nothing to do with First Amendment or constitutional interpretations. That's the, the rules and regulations of the institution itself. How hard is it for a university to articulate a clear standard? Or in the end, is this all Potter Stewart, you know, determining what pornography is. He knows it when he sees it. No, this is not rocket science. Uh, This is, uh, especially for someone like Liz McGill, who, as I said, is a constitutional lawyer. It's not that hard to articulate or uh, or explain. And and most of these universities' policies on paper or on pixels are are quite clear. And they're not long and they're not, you know, you don't have to have a legal degree to understand it. The problem is in the application. Um, You know, MIT declined to... Uh, apply its po- various policies because a lot of the students that ran afoul of the rules were foreign students, and then their visas would have been pulled. And so, in effect, you have things that that foreign students can get away with that 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 Americans can't. And there are plenty of examples of this of the non-application or the uneven or the unequal application uh, of these rules. Imagine a context where somebody would be saying lynch all uh, black students. Uh, would the reaction of these university leaders be the same uh, as it was at this hearing on Tuesday? Okay, so if Ilya Shapiro, I assume that you have a pretty good grasp of what the MIT, Harvard, and Penn policies actually are. If you had been asked that question, put yourself in the position of one of these presidents, what's the soundbite answer that you would have given to Elise Stefanik? I would say as, as a matter of constitutional law, hate speech and even chants for genocide are protected. The problem is in so many of these cases, uh, it's, it's become more than that. Uh, that students are harassed and the university programs are disrupted, and we're going to do our best to to ensure that our rules uh, and regulations are uh, enforced, even as we protect uh, the, the 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 rights of even those who chant uh, uh, slogans that are completely antithetical to our institutional values. Right. And if and if you had a little street smarts, you'd probably begin by condemning the Hamas attack on Israel and talk about the abhorrent things that you've heard about, seen, witnessed, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then you'd say our hands are somewhat tied because there's a constitutional right to say these sort of things. And it's got to become more than just speech in order for us to do something about it. That would be the full answer, right? That's right. And somehow this this highly paid team of PR and legal advisors uh, did not uh, did not do that for for these for these leaders. So uh, there's a you know another another indication of uh, of the rot in in uh, in higher ed. Do you, do you think just I'm, I'm asking you to just, uh, you know, be be the rye observer here. Do you think that they were all they were getting advice from the same quarters? Do you think that they were all coordinated? I don't believe in coincidence. I'm sure they were coordinating. I mean, there, there's not, there's no rules against that, and there's it's not right. Not no, 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 no. I agree. Um, you know, they're 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 part they're part of the same professional cohort. 
leaders of, of so-called elite institutions, and they would want to be on the same page. They, they wouldn't want to uh, say, oh, well, we like your answer on this MIT. We prefer your answer on this Harvard. Penn, why, why, why don't you agree with that? So they wanted to avoid that, and it's, uh, it's smart lawyering and, and smart PR to kind of get on the same page. I'm, I'm trying to decide, as, in part as an alumnus, I'm trying to decide whether she was just a terrible communicator or whether there's something here for which she needs to pay with her job, which, by the way, I think is, is a 50-50 shot as you and I are having this conversation. Right. Well, with, with her in particular, uh, there's a history. I mean, there's the Mark Rowan, who was the, on the board of overseers of Wharton and some other, uh, I think Cliff Asnes and some other really big donors that have shut their pocketbooks, have been complaining about her response to 10-7 while allowing a um, you know, a, a, a pro-Hamas uh, kind of, uh, you know, Palestinian uh, liberationist uh, type of conference on Yom Kippur. Uh, lots of other things that had been going on, on on Penn's campus in the last two months. It's but, not just her performance there in isolation. But, Professor, I have to tell you, and I, I went looking for, I, I want, it's the Palestine Rights, W-R-I-T-E-S, festival that you're making reference to. And I, I went looking for, well, what actually happened? And, you know, it wasn't widely covered. The Daily Pennsylvanian had the best coverage that I could find. And nobody has been able to tell me, here's something offensive that occurred or was said at the actual festival. I part company with some of her critics because they didn't even believe in the right for that so-called festival to occur. I think you have to let it happen. Um, you know, I don't want to get into the, in the details of this, and now it's, it feels like it's been, you know, it's two months ago. It's, uh, it's a different world at this point. But the, the way that she handled certain things there um, uh, raised some eyebrows. And, uh, the, you know, the reason why the critics finally came out uh, a week or two after after 10-7 um, uh, uh, called that one in a, in a series of, uh, of items that, that uh, of, of examples of her uh, failed leadership and, and kind of lack of a of a moral compass, not 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 sympathy with with the bad guys, the terrorists, but just being amoral and not being able to uh, to show principled leadership and 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 define what the values of Penn or a broader mission of of higher education might be. Okay, what's the takeaway? Ilya Shapiro is the director of the constitutional studies at the Manhattan Institute, author of Supreme Disorder. You want to leave us with what on the issue of the university response? This is not just about the freedom of speech. You can't answer all questions. Even as a constitutional lawyer and a free speech advocate, uh, I'm telling you, you can't answer all of these sorts of questions just by tapping the sign that says First Amendment. It it takes judgment. It takes uh, uh, an understanding of where speech begins and and conduct ends and an understanding of of the rules of your own uh, institution. So it's it's not just whether particular speech is protected. Uh, Most speech is. Uh, it's, uh, you know, what, what, what exactly is going on and what, you know, you can say some speeches uh, we, we disagree with, uh, even if it's allowed, uh, but it's a, a failure of these leaders to, uh, to, to show leadership, um, to, you know, they, 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 they appeared uh, like they had no values whatsoever, and that's a, that's a problem. Professor, thanks so much for the analysis. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Take care. That's Ilya Shapiro. In his essay, he differentiates between speech and conduct. Obviously, much more that a university can do when it's a matter of conduct, when you're when you're getting into somebody else's space, when you're intruding on someone else's real estate, so to speak.
But the speech, you know, it's there's a First Amendment aspect to this. Even though these are private universities, then you get into the question of, well, where does the funding come from? It gets a little complicated. I think you understand it. This is the Smirconish Podcast from Sirius XM. Hey, the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails, and with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers and with available features like the panoramic moonroof. You can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. Visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Can you remember a time when you thought someone you disagreed with might actually be right? In the new podcast, You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen pose that question to guests like Paul Ryan, Al Gore, and Judy Woodruff. Come for the stories, stay for the substance and expert insights into some of the most challenging issues facing the country, including affordable housing, crime, and education. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available wherever you get your podcasts. The Michael Smirconish Program. Listen weekdays at 9 a.m. East on POTUS, Sirius XM Channel 124, and anytime on the Sirius XM app. You heard Ilya Shapiro. What are you thinking, Mike, in Dayton, Ohio? What's that one thing you wanted to say? Uh, I would have said, I would have answered the question, uh, but without giving context, yes. And the Shapiro's answer was far more mealy-mouthed and incomprehensible than the president's. So if you're going to throw stones, <laughs> really? prepared to take them. Oh, absolutely. I, I, I thought, I thought he, in essence, they were saying the same thing, but he said it with far more words and far less clear, and I got lost in his answer. This is before huh. Congress. She doesn't, she doesn't want to put herself out there. She should have said yes without full context, but I, I think if you're going to criticize that situation, you've got to be prepared to take it, and he didn't do a good job in answering the question. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate your phone call. Larry, you're in Philly. What did you most want to say? Hi, Michael. How are you? Uh, oh, good. I called you before. I'm the alumni leader. Of a, uh, of, a, of a fraternity uh, in the Northeast. And we had that problem at our school where somebody spoke out and, and, and asked people to demonstrate at our fraternity house. Got, got almost no response from the school. Had to hire private security of our mm. own accord for mm. five figures. And what makes things even more interesting was our house, while it is nationally Jewish, is only half so. So we had people in our house who've never been victims of anti-Semitism before who then were called under that umbrella. Talk about a conversation over a set of pancakes in the morning. Yeah, what a, what a wake up. Hey, I'm not going to stand here yeah. while you badmouth the United States of America, gentlemen. Uh, Paul is in Indianapolis. You wanted to say what, Paul? I agree with your first caller. I think the response should be we will honor one's constitutional rights under the First Amendment. But the minute that crosses the line, we would act swiftly and with zero tolerance. I mean, I think yeah. you have to be equally forceful. 
That's what they should have said. I mean, that would have been the proper answer. I, I think they, they got bad advice. Sharon, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, hi. Hi, my daughter goes to Northwestern, and the uh, president came out and basically said, as an individual, as a board, we can't really come out and just make one statement that covers all. And he's also Jewish, and he said, from that context, how is my response even going to be taken? And people were very upset with that. And I, I just feel like, you know, last week the conversation was, businesses stay out of politics you can't speak for everyone and this week the context is universities speak up i mean we can't even agree on who the president is how can we come to a consensus on you know solving the jewish palestinian conflict and and i would add to that that the minute you get involved in this issue then there will be others and you'll be called upon to take a position and people will say, well, why are you so silent now? Because when it was X, Y or Z, you took a position. So there's a precedent. I, I recently I recently spent time with the president of my alma mater, uh, who's not been subjected, as far as I know, to any of the controversies like we're discussing. And th- they don't they don't take positions. They don't issue statements. And. I I couldn't cite for you an example of where they've taken a position and then all of a sudden it becomes because he said, then I've got to take a position on everything. Right. I always thought that was okay until this when all of a sudden the silence seemed very loud. Okay, And then there'll be something else and someone will say, well, but you, you know, Jeff, Oxford, Ohio, what did you want to say? Mike, this is the first religiously since the Jerry Williams days on WBC. I think you're terrific. Thank I think you. it's great to have this. I think it's great to have this constitutional argument. We're going to look upon this as the good old days. What <laughs> happens when Trump? What happens when Trump suspends the Constitution and he puts me in jail because I'm on the Democratic rolls and I call your radio show? This is I the know. good old days. Yeah, remember when we had a Constitution? Thank you, Jeff. Appreciate the uh, the high praise that you offered, Larry Fort Lauderdale. Go ahead. Hey, love you, Michael. Um, quick question, uh, just different perspective, is, and maybe you can help me understand this better. I understand everything behind the anti-Semitism. It's obviously wrong. Um, how it's being handled, just like everyone else, I'm a little baffled, I guess. But why is it acceptable and okay for colleges to have white nationalists, white supremacists speaking to their groups and Confederate flags and that kind of racism against black and brown people, but... God forbid you say anything that might allude to being anti-Semitic. Isn't that kind of like same playing field? I'm, and I'm not pinning one against the other. I'm honestly confused because I live in Florida, and it's pretty common to see these super red right-wing white supremacist nationalists at colleges, and I don't see any outrage about that. I that's mean, that's. I have to tell you, it would be news to me if there are ongoing if there are ongoing incidents that are anything in number like what we've seen since the events of of 10 7 and it by and i mean they they were immediate in the aftermath of 10 7 i remember being on television one week later and all those protests around the globe were anti israel i i mean you know there unless you're going to tell me something different i know that things pop up from time to time charlottesville comes to mind but not like this it's it's no, an economy I of agree, scale. There's just so much more. No, I agree, but 
you know, from my perspective, is it that we kind of accept racism against black and brown people a little bit more than we would against Jewish people across the well, world? But I mean, how about, okay, but, but Larry, I could turn that. I could turn that so easily, and, and I, I guess I will. Imagine... Imagine that the things that were being said on these campuses were against black students. Do you think that these three presidents would have gone before Congress and when asked the apples to apples question would have equivocated and talked about context? No way. Yeah, They'd have the been... president did say that there's good people on both sides. The former president. Yeah. Yeah, I hear you. The, the and and, and by, president, by the way, the by the way, I got to tell you, you know, you might not want to you might not want to hear this, but I remember when that happened, we parsed the tape and it was a little more confusing. It was a little more nuanced uh, than the way that it had been uh, the way that it had been cast. Hear more of Michael Smirconish on Sirius XM's POTUS Channel 124. Live weekdays from 9 a.m. to noon east or anytime on the SXM app. Connect with Michael on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and at Smirconish.com. Michael Smirconish for Independent Minds. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Can you remember a time when you thought someone you disagreed with might actually be right? In the new podcast, You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen pose that question to guests like Paul Ryan, Al Gore, and Judy Woodruff. Come for the stories, stay for the substance and expert insights into some of the most challenging issues facing the country, including affordable housing, crime, and education. Listen to You Might Be Right a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available wherever you get your podcasts.